Genesis chapter 41, starting in verse 25. Uh, starting in verse 25 and reading to verse 32. We read in the text, And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good kine are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, and there shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt." and the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. And remember, uh, when we were going through the first set of verses of this chapter, uh, Pharaoh himself described only to Joseph, it's not, it's not in the text at least, as being how he described it to Egypt or his counselors or his wizards and his magic folk, but he described it to Joseph as literally being the, the most grievous, the most wicked thing he'd ever seen, the most evil thing he'd ever seen. And he said that even those ill-favored kind, after they devoured the fat kind, looked as though they had still not eaten a meal. So when he says very grievous, that is his interpretation of that portion of what Pharaoh had described. The first thing I want to discuss here is what we see right out of the text, the first point, God hath showed Pharaoh what he's about to do. Make no mistake, this is mercy of God to reveal such a thing. He does not owe it to man to say, oh, by the way, pay attention. He doesn't owe it to man to say something's coming. Here's what I'm about to do. He could just simply do it without permission whatsoever. God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. Think of the gravity of saying, receiving, or even being present to hear this statement said. God has revealed or showed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. It cannot be thwarted. Think of that last part of that verse, what he is about to do. It can't be thwarted. It can't be stopped. It can't be lessened. It can't be increased. This shall come to pass. God has revealed what he's going to do. And though we live in a world where God is supposedly only love, only rainbows, we should note here that this is something awful that is coming, and God not only permits Joseph to describe it, but it is confirmed that God is going to do it. Now, there's a lot of text that refutes that God is only love and rainbows, but this is the most clear. God says this is going to happen, and I'm doing it. I'm revealing it to you. I'm not only permitting it, I'm going to use it in a great and mighty way. He didn't tell his messengers to soften the blow. If God didn't want Pharaoh to know there are countless ways he could have avoided ever revealing this was his plan and this was his device. One of it, which would have been to just not allow Joseph to interpret it at all. But God didn't reveal it through the messengers. God revealed it through Joseph, a Hebrew man who had been kept away from his home at this point, nearly 13 years. And this other part of the verse, the first part, I know it's kind of out of order, but we saw what he is about to do and the emphasis of that. But God showed Pharaoh. Consider that. Consider the weight of this. This is not Pharaoh's God, nor was he God's Pharaoh. 
The Hebrew God, as the world knew him, revealed a message unto Pharaoh. He revealed in a dream, two dreams, confirming it with the second one to a man that was not his, to a man that did not believe in him. Now, it took God's man to interpret it, but think of the weight of this. This is a Pharaoh. This is just a man like us, but has no understanding or belief in Jehovah God. And Joseph tells him, Again, the, the, the weight of this phrase, it goes in so many different directions. The, the weight of the phrase coming from Joseph, a Hebrew, to Pharaoh, a non-believer. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. You imagine Pharaoh wanting to shake this off. No, he didn't. This couldn't be your God. could be one of the multitude of gods I believe in, but it couldn't be your God. I wonder how it felt for Pharaoh to receive this news, this Jehovah he doesn't believe in revealed something to him. God is speaking, though you don't believe or understand him, Joseph says. He chose to speak to and through you. Remember, Joseph has already said, the very first thing he said is that God will reveal it, that it is God's might and God's ability and God's strength. By the way, how could Pharaoh have ever hoped to find interpretation for such a message to the world from those who feared him? None of those magicians were ever going to tell Pharaoh uh, I think it's the Hebrew God. I think the Hebrew God's telling you something, and it's not good news. Well, they'd be slaughtered. They'd be killed. A Hebrew has to be removed from prison to give this news. The truth of this phrase is repeated two more times in the text. The first time, this is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showed unto Pharaoh. Or rather, this is the second time, the first time we've just been talking about. The third time, we read it as this. And for that, the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Joseph left little room for doubt that this was an, a dream from God, the interpretation was from God, and the action that the dream foretold was coming of God and beginning shortly. The second thing we want to make mention of here is the kindness before their need. And it is remarkable, the providence of God's timing and such things. But he reveals in the dream, <clears throat> he reveals in the dream this principle that kindness was going to be shown first. That there was going to be a great need, but kindness was going to be shown first. And the principle happens twice in our text. The first is that the Lord did provide himself an interpreter. He could have left Pharaoh wondering. Remember how the baker and the butler were, were uh, their... their uh, their countenance had fallen. Joseph had noticed that they were in despair after their dream, and somehow it came up that morning, and they were talking to one another, and they couldn't interpret it, but they were spooked, I guess, at the fact that they both had dreams that were very alarming. Well, God could have left Pharaoh in that state. He could have never sent Joseph there, never sent a Hebrew interpreter. Just let it go. Let it simmer. God was just in doing whatever he wanted with his creation without warning any man, and he still is today. Amen. God could have revealed this dream. I don't know if you ever thought about it like this. God could have revealed this dream in a language the Pharaoh didn't understand. Words happening that he can't interpret, but he sees the images. He sees the things happening. But he provides such a man that can speak and interpret this language and speak and interpret from God. Secondly, God showed a kindness in allowing the years of plenty to come first. He first act of kindness was sending a Hebrew interpreter, and this second one was... Uh, even greater. This could have just been a nightmare. This is coming. It's going to happen. It's all going to end. Seven years of horrible, great 
grievous famine, and if you don't make it, you don't make it. But instead, the Lord sends seven years of plenty first. I wonder in 2023 how we'd handle that. I think we've seen it, right? Y2K, uh, oh no, COVID, 9-11. We've kind of seen a little taste of YOLO, live how you want to live. It's all going to end anyway. That's not the encouragement here from Joseph as we continue on in the text. The encouragement here is that there's, there's a plan to be put in place. Joseph is going to literally tell Pharaoh, you got to get yourself a man who can put these things in order to, to, to come up with a plan or a system during those fat years to plan for those lean years that are coming. There's great wisdom poured out in this text, is there not? The ability in those fat years, those comfortable years to... Tighten the belt just a little more than maybe you would like to so that something's left available in the years in which you won't have it coming in as, as readily. When the Lord illustrates that there is time for something to be done, something should be done. We talked on Sunday in the seasons that we are in and the time that we are in. What is to be done? We see all these things coming to pass and, and uh, we talked earlier, Yemen is involved now with the things that are going on. And of course, our nation is greatly involved in bad-mouthing Israel now, worse than I know I've ever seen in my lifetime. And what are we to do when we see these things coming to pass? Look up. That's what the Lord said to do. And if there's time to do anything, something should be done, and that is to look up. A sinner in the hand of an angry God can be most miserable, but he has yet to be spewed forth into everlasting torment. Repent, repent while there's time to repent. I don't know if you've ever listened to or read the sermon, A Sinner in the Hand of an Angry God. I try to listen to it every couple of years, and I don't say that to boast. I, I have a, if you ever used Hoopla, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a Bible app, it's a library app. If you have a library card anywhere, you can sign into Hoopla and access their uh, digital library. And there's an audio of that particular sermon that I like to listen to every couple of years. And uh, just literally putting that one line in this outline, it spurned me going and listening to that while doing my bike ride last week. I don't think I've ever taken a bike ride to that sermon before. Uh, but it'll break your heart even if you are saved. The time is running out. The time to encourage the lost to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, that, that message is the season for that message is about to pass. Yeah. Romans 11, verses 33 through 36, we read, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. There in Romans 11, it opens up talking about the depth of riches, and it never one talks about one time talks about the riches that Egypt could gain in these seven years of fatness, the seven years of plenty. It talks about wisdom and knowledge. You see, the beginning of the seven years of plenty starts with this dream, does it not? I'm giving you everything that I'm about to do. God has shown Pharaoh in a sign of mercy what he's about to do. This might be the greatest rainstorm of mercy of all of it, is I'm telling you what's coming behind these years of plenty. I'm telling you what to be prepared for. <clears throat> Which brings us to our third point, what to do with the time remaining. 
Joseph says, God has revealed unto Pharaoh what he is about to do, and it starts soon. He's made it clear in his interpretation that the seven good years will come first. <clears throat> As the leader of Egypt, Pharaoh must decide what to do with the information he's received. It's hard to not make application to where we are today. How would America respond? I can't help but wonder if it would be an extreme arrogance and pridefulness. Something is bigger than America. Something threatens America. Was it God's purpose to reveal all these things in order to embarrass and dethrone Pharaoh? Was it his purpose to humiliate Pharaoh by saying Pharaoh's having dreams of the Hebrew God? You know, that could have been a, a likely possibility. I'm sure there would have been some in the nation that would have lost their confidence in Pharaoh, not that they uh, had a new election coming and you get a new Pharaoh or anything, but uh, to, to hear this kind of news would have certainly been jarring. God had a purpose then for Israel. That's the important thing to note so far. This plan was not for Egypt. The, the whole revelation of what was coming in the next 14 years, it was never for Egypt. God had a plan and a purpose for Israel. Israel was about to be a nation within a nation. And my kids know because they've heard me preach through Exodus before. This is about the most amazing concept in the Bible to me. A nation, a fully functioning nation inside of another nation. And God did all these things for that plan. He knew what he was about to bring upon the land. And the safest place for Israel in God's mind, was to be inside, incubated, if you will, in Egypt. He had a plan for Israel. He has a plan for Israel today. Everything that we know is coming, likely already begun, it's all about Israel. It isn't about America, beloved. It's not even about the church. What happens with the rapture? The church is removed. And a, a man in temperance one time his mother was a member of our church, and he got good and riled up because I don't preach in favor of Christmas. So he sent me a nice angry letter trying to straighten me out about the rapture, and he told me all of the things the church was going to do during the seven years of tribulation. It's hard to take a letter seriously that starts like that. The church is gone, beloved. At the rapture point, that's what is raptured. That's who is raptured, is the Lord's church. What he began during his ministry, what we've been looking at in our Sunday afternoon studies. Those 200-some messages <coughs> that I was talking about before services started, that is removed because it's not about the church. Not at that point. It's all about Israel. Those two witnesses, who are they sent for? They're not sent for the church. The church is gone. The church is safe. The church will want for nothing. They're sent for Israel. The purpose of even this great famine that was coming was for his chosen people. <coughs> Let's look at the next set of verses here, verses 33 through 36. And it says, Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet. And this is what we are talking about. Joseph is giving, giving counsel. And it is wise in business, too, that if you're going to uh, discuss uh, problems and issues to have a solution in mind. Joseph says, Let Pharaoh look out a man discreet. This word is not necessarily referring to someone who is secretive but one who has discernment and understanding. Uh, if I get to preach through my discernment series, you'll hate that word discernment at some point because it comes up a lot. It turns out it's a biblical word. It's something that Christians are supposed to know and exercise like a muscle, like a bicep, 
we are to discern. What did the Bereans do? They took everything back and discerned it against God's word. Amen. This is exactly and precisely what Joseph is saying. You're going to need to get a man who's going to come in here. A man discreet, a man discerning, a man with understanding. One who is wise. See, discreet doesn't mean the same thing. He wouldn't have said this twice. He says one who is discerning and wise. One who has understanding and wisdom and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And I know that's math, Laney. The fifth part is just a double tithe. A tithe is 10%. A double tithe is 20%. And he's saying a double tithe, a fifth part, put it back. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh. And let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, against or for, like a planning for the future, which shall be in the land of Egypt, and <coughs> that the land perish not through the famine. God blessed Joseph again, and this time with a plan of what to do with the interpretation of the dreams before him. And, and I do want to finish this, so I'm going to go quickly. First, they needed to put back a fifth for seven years. This would be difficult. Because not every, and I know this will shock you, and I'm not even just speaking of this church. Charlie knows I don't touch the box in the back. Not every Christian, not every church member is a faithful 10% tither. So to ask Egypt that doesn't believe in Jehovah to put back a double tithe, let's not think that this was an easy thing. I wouldn't put it on a, up on a level of cre preaching righteousness for 120 years and building an ark hard but this would have been a very difficult ask. Things are great. I mean, think of America again in this situation. Things are going just fine. Anybody remember the 90s? There's jobs everywhere. We're doing great. And if somebody would have said that, you know, Y2K is not what you think it's going to be, but there's some times coming, some presidential decisions, some bank buyouts, a, a Katrina is coming. And if we put back now a double tithe, we'll coast through those years comfortably. Well, America wouldn't have likely done it. 20% or a double tithe would be put in place for all of the first fruits of the land. Man in his natural state is a spender. Man likes to have. If man has a gun, man wants a bigger gun. If man has, a, I mean, this goes with everything. Man has a Bible. He wants a bigger Bible. Uh, go in there and look. Brother O'Neill and I are pretty similar in that regard. Man has a book. He wants more books. He wants not just volume one, but all the volumes. And if he has a car, he wants the biggest car, and so on, and so on, and so on. Man is a natural-born spender. Even the most frugal that we may know, if given a shot at the right item or investment, would give all that he had for it. This could be land, this could be vehicles, this could even be health. How many of us have a stash of toilet paper in our closets now because of 2020? We do. Isaac's gone through a lot of it wiping his nose, but we do. We used to have a lot of toilet paper. <laughs> I'm going to give you the cheap stuff going forward. Just so you know. <laughs> this double tithe, like any tithe today, was to be taken right off the top. It says, from the first fruits. So this isn't after everybody has what they want, then 20% of what's left. This is everything that is gleaned, 20% goes into the storehouse. 20% is put back towards those, or put up against those seven future years. This is how a tithe should work too, as we talked on Sunday. To rob this would literally, in this circumstance, be robbing from themselves. 
This would be robbing from Isaac from eight years from now, Laney from eight years from now. Oh, that we might give our money and time with such a mindset that we are robbing ourselves of the blessings of God and we are most definitely robbing God. This is a silly thing to play ticky-tack games with the Lord. Well, is it off the net revenue? Off the top. The people then, just as now, would have rejected the idea of giving more than they normally would be required to. Tithes in ancient Egypt were a very common form of taxation or tribute to the king, but 20% would have been high for them even as well. Note, however, to save 20% during the seven years of promise that were ahead was not going to be as bad of a struggle as it would have been in a common year. These were going to be fat years, good years, not just sufficient years, but years of plenty, years of overabundance. And it would have been in that new week that they would have entered into a lean season, that eighth year of the fulfillment of these dreams. Secondly, they needed a man. They needed to put back a fifth for seven years, and they needed a man. Joseph leads with this. A discreet, a discerning, wise man would need to be set over multiple officers to oversee the keeping of 20% for seven years. Then later, that same man would need to be in charge of the administration of that savings to the masses as needed. The, the right man here would be a deliverer of the people. The wrong man would end up being a tyrant with much power and much control. The right man was going to have to be diplomatic. He's going to have to be approachable. He was going to require a lot for seven years. And he was then going to be called on a lot for seven years. And the third and last thing from this section of text, um, they needed to listen to God. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts 27, I won't, I won't take up the entire night reading it, but it is one of my favorite chapters in Acts. <coughs> this has uh, probably been referenced before, the Eurycliden or the Eurycliden that happens here in Acts 27. Long and short of it, uh, they're, they're, the, the ship, this vessel that they are taking to Rome uh, is about to go through a storm. And it's revealed unto Paul that a storm is coming, a Eurycliden, a, a, uh, a boisterous, wind-shearing storm, like we said in Texarkana, not unlike what Jonah would have gone through, but this one was going to rip the ship apart. It was going to leave the ship in shreds. And I'm not just forecasting that. I'm telling you that's what happens in the chapter, but it's also how it was revealed to Paul, is that not a board would remain on the ship. But if they stayed in the ship, this is what's revealed to Paul, if they stayed in the ship, well, listen to it in verse 21 through 26 of Acts 27. Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And I now exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the help, or, but, but of the ship, rather. There, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all of them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told me, howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. I love the faith <coughs> of Paul here. Because if you think about this, it's not even really how I summarize. It's not just that we're going to get through this if we stay together. Paul says, the Lord revealed unto me that I must be, I lost my place, doggone. 
I must be brought before Caesar. This is the revelation. And, and it's almost as like a matter of fact, Paul says, if I must be before Caesar and he's not on this ship, there must be life after this ship. Let's stay together. God's going to bring us through this thing. He told, we were informed not to go because of this storm. We went anyway, but the Lord has said, I must be brought before Caesar. This has to happen. The Lord has already ordained for this to happen. See, we can have that kind of confidence, can we not? We can have that kind of faith because the Bible didn't stop when Jesus went to the cross. It kept on going. In this very book, we see countless baptized, countless repent, countless brought to the Lord. And in some places it says daily teaching the same doctrine, daily in fellowship, and added unto daily. We can see that God is good in doing these things. And he says, I must be brought before Caesar. So therefore, it's not going to go any other way. However this goes, I'm going to be brought before Caesar. In verses 30 through 32, and as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat, or the like, kind of like a life raft, those oar boats that are on the side, into the sea, under color, <coughs> as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And just for time's sake, look down to verse 44. They escaped all safe to land. Not just any land, but a certain island, just as Paul said they would back in verse 26. It wasn't because Paul had some dream and he interpreted it. It was because God said that this is going to come to pass. Everything that we talked about in Sunday school Everything that we've pointed to in reference to the end times that we believe the Lord coming again, rapturing his people. We know this is going to be true. The Lord said it would be true. If it weren't true, he would have told us it wasn't true. So we can look up in full faith and confidence that God is good, that God is merciful, and God's will shall be done. If we must appear before Pharaoh, if we must appear before Crete and the, the uh, Caesar, then it will happen. And if the Lord Jesus must come and return again to lead in the battle of Armageddon, it must happen. We must preach and teach our loved ones the importance of repentance, the importance of who the Lord Jesus is. Our time is running out. And we shouldn't teach it just because it's our obligation to. We should teach it because we absolutely believe it. We should teach it because it's the absolute truth written upon our hearts. And we should teach it and preach it not that we might be released from prison, but because it's the absolute truth. Paul wasn't freed from being a prisoner when that ship crashed. Joseph wasn't going to necessarily be freed from being a prisoner just because he interpreted a dream. That wasn't his expectation that we read in the text. Now we know that what's going to happen, but he didn't. What an amazing thing to consider the truth.